A small, tight-knit community grew inside an abandoned building in L.A.'s Koreatown last year. The building was derelict, with dusty, wire-exposed walls, but the people who found shelter there, they felt lucky. In a city where unhoused people have had to set up encampments wherever they can, in parks, on sidewalks, beneath freeway overpasses, this old building in Koreatown offered a real sense of home. I love to cook, you know, I love to cook dinner, breakfast, dinner, everything. And here I can do that. But the people who lived there knew their community couldn't last. I'm Gustavo Ariano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. It's Thursday, March 3rd, 2022. My LA Times colleague, Jamie Ding, is a reporting fellow with the inaugural class of the Los Angeles Times Fellowship. She was doing some reporting in Koreatown and came across what some may have seen as an urban blight. But this is why you do journalism. Jamie looked closer and found a parable about LA's housing and homeless crisis. Jamie, welcome to The Times. Thanks for having me. So this community that you encountered really started with a man named Alex Ceja Torres. What's his story? So Alex came to the United States from Guatemala in 2009 with his sister and mother, but his father stayed behind. And so he started going to school. He was only 12 years old, and he didn't know any English. And at this point, there wasn't really much stability in his life. He told me he moved around a lot. So he was constantly switching schools, moving from, you know, Lafayette Elementary in Long Beach to to Lopez in Pomona to Nightingale Middle School. And then at some point, he was also in Burbank. So after being in the U.S. for a while, he finds out one day that his dad actually died. And that was a tipping point for him, and it really had a big impact on his life. Mama told me, hey, hey, Alex, I need to you be strong. And please, um, I know it's hard for you, but uh, somebody killed your dad. Like, what? And the next day, I say, that same guy told me, hey, um, you want to do this? And all right, let me see. And I, I do it with, uh, with lines, with nose. I start with the nose. He starts using drugs, getting involved with people on the street. And he's 14 and he dropped out of school, but his mom said, you know, you have to work and help out with rent. And so he was able to do jobs like painting and plumbing and handiwork and helping out to pay the bills. So eventually, things get worse. He becomes homeless pretty much full-time when he's about 17. From then on, the only shelter he really ever has is jail. He told me he's been arrested six times for car theft-related crimes. So he was in and out of jail for several years. And meanwhile, his family is really trying their best to help him. So they offer him shelter. They try to get him into different rehabilitation programs. But he told me he just couldn't do it. And actually, one time, he actually jumped the fence to escape during one of his stints in a program. Yeah, it's so unfortunate to hear how Alex has basically been on his own since he was just a teen. Did he ever have any support network? I mean, not really. He told me, you know, his friends weren't really a great influence on him, but he definitely had his family and they helped him get food during this time when he was homeless, but he really did not want to live with them. 
He told me he wanted to keep his problems separate and he didn't want all his issues with drugs and things on the street to ever affect his family. But he did start making some friends that he's been keeping in touch with over the years. He had one friend named Felipe, Felipe Diaz Acosta, but everyone calls him Cuba. And Cuba came to the U.S. from the island of Cuba in 1982. He was only 13, but he told me he just got on a shipping boat and landed in Florida. And the reason he left was because of his mother. So Cuba is gay, and he told me that she could not deal with that, and she beat him. And eventually, it became so bad that he just had to leave. I came to a foster home in Florida. The people don't like me too much because I'm wild. So when he arrived in the U.S., he first entered the foster care system, but he had to leave when he turned 21. So after he left the foster care system and became homeless, he was able to find jobs in restaurants and doing cleaning. And eventually he made his way from Florida to Pennsylvania. But he told me he really did not like the weather in Pennsylvania. It was, it was too cold for him. So he thought, I want to go to California and he moved to L.A. So once Alex and Cuba connect, what do they end up doing? First, Cuba was living in encampments at MacArthur Park with a partner named Sergio. But eventually he comes across this building on Vermont Avenue, and it's covered in graffiti, it's clearly abandoned, and it has a sign that says the Vermont Dental Group Implant Center. The building was built in 1999, but, you know, some of the residents said that it had been clearly abandoned for several years. And there's a parking lot completely covered in trash. The whole building's covered in graffiti. You know, you go inside, there's exposed wiring, there's debris everywhere, broken light fixtures, broken windows. And you can tell it used to be like a doctor's office and it had a lobby and a waiting room. But other than that, it was all ruined inside. But it's shelter. And so... Cuba finds this building and he sets up a room for himself and his partner with furniture and eventually he tells Alex about it. She told me, you want a room? Look for it and you stay there, you know? So Alex moves in. What does he start doing to the place? So when Alex finds this building, you know, initially he's super grateful to find shelter. I look in one room and I like the spot because I got a window to see all outside. He told me he doesn't really like living on the streets, especially with tents when Things can get stolen all the time, and it's dangerous. But Alex, having experience with doing construction work and painting, he figures out how to actually wire electricity throughout the building. He finds wires from the ground outside of the building with electricity. So people can plug in lamps and hang up lights and and have speakers to play music. He has a gas stove so he can cook food. He cleans up a lot of the rooms, even getting paint to cover some of the graffiti in his room because he told me he didn't like it. He really fixes up the place and makes a room for himself. When you walk through it, what surprised you about what you saw? What really surprised me is that people were just milling about and going in between each other's rooms. One day come and say, damn, Cuba, your house look more clean than my house. Look nice. There was music constantly playing and, you know, people laughing and and singing along. The residents, they cleaned all the time. They're like brushing all the dust and debris out. And it just really seemed like 
a building that people had taken ownership of. More after the break. Welcome back. So, Jamie, Alex and Cuba, these two guys that you met, they transformed an old abandoned building in Koreatown into a home for themselves. But other people start coming in. How did they end up living with them? And what was the total population at its height? Word gets around pretty fast between people who live in the area. Um, a lot of the local homeless know each other and they hear about the shelter. And it sounds like a great place to live with electricity. It certainly beats living in a tent on the side of the road. And it's hard to say how many people live there. I mean, some people come in and out. Some of the residents are regulars. They have rooms like Alex and Cuba. Others just come in to sleep for a night and they leave again. But they all sort of start living in a routine. We have the core group of people who share things with each other. If one person needs soap, they'll let someone else borrow it. Alex was making food one day, and he asked this man named Mafia for a lighter to start a fire to cook food. And then once he cooked food, he offered Mafia his tacos. There's some residents who are there with partners. You know, there's a man named George who takes care of a disabled woman named Wiki. You know, there's even a man who prefers to not live inside the building and wants to live on the sidewalk instead, but everyone knows him. And so there's a community that slowly kind of grows in this building. Yeah, it was a community, but they were living in a building that wasn't theirs to begin with. So how long did Alex and Cuba think they could continue with it? I think they were just grateful that they had the shelter for the time being. You know, when I asked them, like, do you guys have any plans to go elsewhere? And they were just like, no, this is a nice place to live. Uh, we love living here and we'll live here as, as long as we can. When did they realize that their time was going to be ending soon? So eventually they noticed that these two red paper flyers appear on the building on November 13th. And they even have a military time when they were posted, 1308. They're from the uh, Los Angeles Department of Building and Safety, and they read unsafe, do not enter or occupy. And so, you know, in my reporting, I found that this building was actually purchased in February 2020 by 730 Vermont Venture LLC. So it's a company that planned to develop the lot and they purchased the property for more than $10 million dollars. And eventually, in May, the L.A. Planning Department approved plans for a like a seven-story mixed-use housing development with lots of studio apartments and car parking spaces and bicycle stalls. And so I knew at this point that, you know, they wouldn't be able to stay in this building for much longer. How did Alex and Cuba react to those eviction notices? They didn't really think much of the flyers. I think they just continue living their lives day by day, cleaning their rooms, redecorating, finding furniture. They did think maybe there would be social workers or someone from the city who would come and ask them to leave or at least help them find other shelter. But several weeks went by uh, and no one came. And so they just tore down the flyers and soon forgot about them. Coming up, the end of this community. 
And we're back with my colleague, Jamie Ding. Okay, so Alex, Cuba, and their friends ignored the eviction warnings at their shelter. But when those notices go up, the authorities are going to come eventually. So when did that happen? And, well, what happened? Before the authorities even came, there was a devastating fire at the building. And it started on one end, the southern end, and it really destroyed most of the interior of the building. When you walked in, you could just smell the smoke and you could see the insides were all blackened and all the rooms were dark. And one resident blamed the electrical system while other people thought it was a woman who actually fled as soon as the fire started. I don't know what happens to fires. When I came, I see that fire, the fire came in. Yeah, I hear that. No one knows how it started, but most people couldn't live there anymore. But Cuba and his partner's room was actually mostly spared by the flames. So initially, they stayed for a little longer. But Cuba did say at that point they planned to leave as soon as they found a better place to live. So everyone ended up leaving then? Everyone else decided to leave except for Cuba. He stayed because his room was mostly spared. But At one point, a guy from a construction company did actually stop by to let them know they had about a week or so to leave. When I recently went back to look for them, I actually found Alex living at an encampment on the sidewalk a few blocks away, just around the corner from the old building. He actually managed to find electricity again for himself and connect the speakers from the sidewalk. But it's not the same, and he isn't able to cook and really have that shelter. I miss, I miss my, my house, you know. I miss because I got my room and I got everything. It's, it's hard to, people tell you, do you want to eat or, you know. No one ever says, oh, do you want food? Yeah, but it's, 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 hard to, it's hard to find people like that. In Cuba, he really stayed at the building until the very last minute. And so when the construction was supposed to begin, security came by. They told him, you have five minutes to get your stuff. He said, hey, you, you're not supposed to be here. And blah, blah, blah. I said, well, wait, 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 I've been here for a year. He said, you get out right now. You got five minutes. Uh, like security guy, a black guy. And I said, OK, call the police. And they really just booted him out. They threw him out. And now he's living in a tent on the sidewalk next to the building. He threw my, 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 my two speakers towards me. Can't do nothing about it. So you really like listening to music, huh? Oh, yeah, but music make it like they, they go fast. You forget about the pain. You think, you say, well, damn, look at me here now. So the building where Alex and Cuba and everyone else lived, what's happening to it right now? So it's currently fenced off now, but I believe construction will begin soon um, on the the mixed-use housing project. It's actually part of the city's transit-oriented communities program, which allows developers to propose different high-density housing projects and give them incentives based on how close they are to public transit. And they're also required to keep some units affordable for people with extremely low incomes. How do Alex and Cuba feel about all of this? They're definitely devastated. I mean, they mentioned they just really loved the building because they they could charge their phones. They could cook food. Uh, It's hard. 
You have for me, but I like to cook. They could hang out with each other and, and really have rooms of their own, but there's also a sort of acceptance that they knew that their time in that building wasn't forever. And so really they're just continuing on to live their lives and trying to survive the best they can on the sidewalk. Sometimes yeah, I feel bad because, you know, I have my, my house in my right now and I have nothing. I don't make this little house right here, but in the same, the same, you know. And finally, Jamie, your story really illustrated an important point about homelessness. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, anyone who saw the outside of the Koreatown building where Alex and Cuba ended up creating their community would have thought it completely abandoned and not really think about it, actually. But you had the curiosity to go inside and you found people who made something out of nothing. And by telling that story, you reminded us that every single person who's homeless has a story. And if you listen to their stories, it's easier to understand how they became homeless in the first place. I think what this story tells us is that people don't end up homeless overnight. For many of them, it was a, a series of events. Um, it was a journey that led them to where they are today. And for many of them, you know, maybe they don't necessarily want to be homeless, but it's kind of the only life that they know. And they're trying to make do the best they can. But many of them still find joy and community and friendship on the streets. And I'm extremely privileged that they're willing to share their experience with me. Jamie, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you so much, Gustavo. Before we leave, our colleagues at the LA Times are reporting on the Ukraine conflict from all sorts of angles, on the ground in Kyiv, in the United States, from business, political, and even cultural angles. What you do see, however, are lots of people cramming themselves into the subway stations, which obviously double as bomb shelters in case of shelling. Um, but for the moment, I mean, I've said this a lot today, but it's still true. It's very unclear what's going to happen. Visit LATimes.com for our thorough coverage and follow us and our reporters on social media as well for quick dispatches. And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Tomorrow, an episode about leaving Ukraine. Ashley Brown was a hef on this episode and our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Kasha Brasalian, Ashley Brown, and Angel Carreras. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. Our editor is Kinsey Moreland. Our executive producers are Hasmin Aguilera and Shawnee Hilton, and our theme music is by Andrew Eatman. Like what you're listening to? Then make sure to follow The Times on whatever platform you use. I'm Gustavo Arellano. We'll be back tomorrow with all the news and the smile. Gracias. <laughs>